Giving feedback is a responsibility, and as we said, a, a privilege, and we'll also say a potential liability for learning businesses. And a liability because while feedback is so critical to learning, it's hard to do well. I'm Salisa Steele. I'm Jeff Cobb, and this is the Leading Learning Podcast. Welcome to episode 389, which focuses on feedback. This is an encore airing of an episode from our archives. It's not unusual to be asked for feedback by a colleague, nor is it unusual to be offered feedback. These are, in fact, often daily occurrences. But giving and receiving feedback is arguably harder than most people think. It's an art and a science. And it's important that learning professionals take the time to study that art and science because of the critical role that feedback plays in learning. So we want to revisit a conversation Jeff and I originally had in 2019 that delves into the topic of feedback, including how to effectively give and receive it, common misconceptions around it, and the tremendous impact it can have on learning. We'll note that in the conversation that follows, you'll hear some references to the show notes for the original episode, 209, but you'll find the most recent show notes and a transcript at leadinglearning.com slash episode 389. Jeff, what did you think of my last interview for the podcast? I'm looking for some feedback. <laughs> you know, it's a, a question we hear a lot, and, it, and it's not unusual, I guess, to be asked for feedback by a, a colleague or a friend. Yeah, and it's not all that uncommon to be offered feedback, i.e. even if we don't ask for it, we might get unsolicited feedback, whether from a boss, a colleague, or a friend, as in, hey, Jeff, I have a few thoughts to share on your last podcast interview. Let me give you some feedback. Yeah, it seems like you always get the, that feedback you're not necessarily <laughs> looking for. But uh, but giving and receiving feedback is arguably a, a lot harder than most people assume. It's an art and a science, and it's really important that learning professionals take the time to learn that art and science. Right. Feedback is an incredibly important part of learning. A few episodes ago in episode 203, you and I talk about meta-learning moves learning businesses can make to empower lifelong learning, and providing opportunities for feedback was one of the seven most important meta-learning moves that we covered. Right. And so now, in follow-up to that, we want to devote some more airtime to feedback. And in fact, we're going to dedicate today's entire show to feedback. So here are a couple of suggestions for what to key in on while listening. First, think about the feedback you typically offer your learners. As you listen to our conversation, think about whether the feedback you offer is consistent with what's known about how to foster learning. Second, as we talk about the many different types of feedback, think about which ones you do and don't use. After the episode, think about whether it might be beneficial to change the types of feedback you offer. Would codifying approaches to different types of the feedback be valuable? Now that those you have those questions in mind, and by the way, those are questions you, you can find in the show notes at leadinglearning.com slash episode 209. Let's dig in in earnest, and let's start by defining our key term here, feedback. According to Merriam-Webster, feedback is the transmission of evaluative or corrective information about an action, event, or process 
to the original or controlling source. And feedback is also the information so transmitted. And I think the evaluative or corrective nature is key. In the context of learning, that's going to be evaluation or correction about skills or knowledge being learned. And of course, the original source is going to be the learner herself. I had a university professor, an English teacher, who hated the term feedback. He thought that term should be used for its original scientific meaning only. But I think at this point, the feedback horse is out of the barn because Merriam-Webster lists the definition that I just shared first, meaning it's more popular than that scientific meaning of the, quote, return to the input of a part of the output of a machine system or process. (laughs) And I think there's not a lot of benefit in trying to pull back on that broadened sense. Um, And so I think we should forge ahead using that term. And, And I guess I'll note, too, that the university professor would also have really disliked that horse out of the barn cliche too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> university professors can be finicky that way. Um, and, uh, and, you know, maybe we'll continue um, and, and mix some metaphors here and put that barn on a two-way street because feedback, of course, has two sides. There's giving feedback and there's receiving feedback. And we're going to spend most of our time today on giving feedback because that's a responsibility and frankly, a privilege that learning businesses usually fulfill. But We'll start by touching briefly on asking for feedback because as lifelong learners, that side of the feedback skill set is worth working on too. It definitely is. And I'll I'll draw on a a personal example here. I like to write poetry and I've attended a number of poetry workshops over the years. And I would say the vast majority of them have uh, an instructor and you might have, you know, 10 or so other poets in the room. And you just give feedback on whatever poem is put in front of you, and you give it to that person. Well, a few years ago, I had a a different experience, one where the instructor had the poet whose poem was being critiqued got to say up front what type of feedback she was looking for. So uh, I might say I'm really interested in uh, knowing if the ending to this poem is working well. And so then that lets all of the other people giving feedback in the room know to look at that ending and to really focus their time and attention there. Mm. And I've had a similar experience. I've done a lot of work at uh, Heroic Public Speaking, which is a company run by Michael and Amy Port, where they focus on, as you might expect, uh, helping speakers become much better at what they do. And you know, one of their rules there is that you can be a performer or a critic, but you can't be both. And so when anybody's participating in their programs, we're told you do not offer unsolicited feedback. You only offer feedback that's specifically requested by the person speaking. And as you can imagine, most speakers are very good at criticizing uh, other speakers. <laughs> um, so you have to really start thinking about, okay, how do, I, how do I get the feedback that's really going to make me better? You know, ask for what I need at this specific time, on this specific speech, in this specific context, is it working, is it not working, and helping the, the, the people who are in teams and groups with you going through the training really give you the support that you need in, in your learning. So asking for feedback, or, or perhaps even more relevant for learning businesses, letting or encouraging learners to ask for feedback often works best at, at either end of the learner journey. So the the, for the novice or for the approaching expert learner. For the novice, there's often so much corrective feedback that could be given that it might be overwhelming to the learner. So letting the learner pick 
where the people giving feedback should focus can help limit the sheer volume of feedback to a more manageable amount. As an example, let's say there's a a novice tennis player, maybe she has a bad backhand, a weak forehand, and a serve that's unreliable. But that's a lot to work on all of those. So the player might say she wants to focus on serving and ask for pointers on that. And I know you were secretly thinking of me with that uh, <laughs> novice tennis player example, but uh, I could certainly use some pointers. But like you said, you know, that's one end of the spectrum, the, the novice. And then you know, for somebody who basically is an expert or is really approaching that level of expertise, already has a, a lot of knowledge, a lot of skill, asking for feedback on a particular area can then really increase the odds that the feedback prompts action or, or elicits the kind of change that that person's seeking. So you know, an advanced tennis player may not really care that much about improving her serve. You know, maybe she's skilled enough that she she knows she can consistently put the ball in play and that's good enough for her at this point. But, you know, she might feel that she really needs to put her time and energy into improving her backhand, for example. And so if you're going to ask for feedback or if you're going to create learning experiences like the heroic public speaking workshops and the poetry workshops we mentioned, If you're going to create those experiences where you encourage learners to ask for the feedback they need or want, it's a really good idea to provide an example to model. So the the poetry workshop that I shared about, that instructor um, modeled it for us. He said, let's imagine that Theodore Rethke is here. He's brought his poem, My Papa's Waltz, with me. It's a great poem, by the way. Look it up. Uh, You can easily Google it if you don't know it. And, you know, what Ted says to the class is, uh, I'm trying to walk uh, this this line between um, nostalgia and the terror, and I want to make sure that I'm not falling too much on one side or the other. Am I walking that line effectively? Yeah, so definitely, you know, getting very specific about that, and you know, and whoever is hearing the feedback, whether that's you know you or another learner, or in the case of a, of a structured type learning experience, uh, the instructor or facilitator, whoever that is, needs to be ready to redirect the feedback givers if needed to make it more productive or if that doesn't work um, you know you should recognize that uh, you or any other learner can always ignore the feedback if needed that's right I mean feedback really is always up to the receiver even really good feedback can only be conveyed it can only be transmitted to go back to that word that was used in the Merriam-Webster definition we we started with earlier so the feedback won't necessarily be internalized or adopted or put to use it's always up to the learner whether or not she's going to apply that feedback, whether or not she's going to make changes based on it. At Tagoras, we're experts in the global business of lifelong learning, and we use our expertise to help clients better understand their markets, connect with new customers, make the right investment decisions, and grow their learning businesses. We achieve these goals through expert market assessment, strategy formulation, and platform selection services. If you're looking for a partner to help your learning business achieve greater reach, revenue, and impact, learn more at tagoras.com slash services. And now on to the other side of the road. And I feel like there's a chicken joke in there somewhere, but uh, (laughs) uh, getting to that other side of the road, giving feedback. Giving feedback is a responsibility, and as we said, a, a privilege, and we'll also say a potential liability for learning businesses. And a liability because while feedback is so critical to learning, it's hard to do well. Yeah, it is hard to do well. And and the feedback needs to be focused on improved performance. So in the case of learning businesses, 
opportunities for feedback should focus on improving the learner so that the learner better understands the skills and information being taught and is better able to apply those skills and information. The corrective and evaluative nature of feedback need to keep that goal of improved performance in mind, meaning, you know, you, you might have something that you can correct, but if it's not really, you know, achieving that goal of improved performance, that might be feedback better left unsaid. Yeah, I mean, you keep that goal of improved learner performance in mind, and it's it's pretty easy to see that, yes, indeed, there is such a thing as unnecessary feedback, gratuitous feedback, even just plain bad feedback. Anything that undermines improved learner performance is counterproductive. And it's not hard to imagine or, or perhaps even remember examples of feedback gone awry. Now, feedback about how distracting someone's facial expressions are while speaking turns into, you know, not more pleasant facial expressions, but results in that person not speaking up as much, not presenting events at events and so on. So it's, it's completely counterproductive. Right. So we have to keep the goal of improved learner performance in mind. Add to that the fact that feedback really needs to take that learner and that situation into account. So you really want to be thinking about individual learners when possible. And if it's not possible to give feedback that specialized, that individualized, then you're going to want to look at types of learners. So for example, novice versus expert or native English speaker versus non-native English speaker. So knowing who's receiving the feedback allows us to structure it in a way most likely to achieve that goal of improved performance. More expert learners are likely to be able to process nuanced feedback and and feedback on a variety of aspects. Novice learners may be overwhelmed by too much feedback and may need help understanding what to do with the feedback. You know, for example, a recommendation to a novice public speaker to be more engaging might not be as meaningful as that recommendation coupled with some examples of how to be more engaging, you know, use more stories or make use of strategic movement on the stage. So we need to be more directive with novices and we need to be more facilitative in our feedback to more experienced learners. And and we'll include in the show notes a link to an article by Dr. Patty Shank, um, and it includes a table that really nicely summarizes how to handle feedback differently at the different ends of the skill and expertise continuum. And it's also important to keep in mind what the feedback's focused on, what it's addressing. You know, feedback on a knowable, reproducible task or procedure, you know, for example, something like you know, giving an injection uh, if you're in the healthcare space, is going to be different than feedback on a more open-ended topic, uh, like something like you know, being a more strategic thinker. So with the knowable task, the corrective side of feedback factors in. There's a right way to give an injection, and you want to make sure that learners get that. Don't want people out there giving bad injections. But with the more open-ended topics, the feedback will be more evaluative than corrective. There's not a single right way to be a strategic thinker, but there are some things you can say or do that might point a learner in the right direction. So hints, cues, details that might get her thinking or experimenting. So in addition to being aware of the individuals and the situations that the feedback pertains to, there are also various dimensions of feedback from formal, so think assessments, like a certification exam, to informal, so the more uh, kind of 
insignificant day-to-day exchanges, um, even the quick unfiltered expression that I can see on your face, Jeff, when I suggest a particular topic for a podcast, that counts as feedback. Mm, Definitely. And there's also a feedback spectrum that runs from formative to summative. And there's solicited versus unsolicited feedback, and of course, shades of gray in between those two extremes. And there's who's giving the feedback. Is it coming from a teacher or an expert? Is it coming from peers, peers with more experience or less? Or is the feedback coming from the learner herself, maybe through reflection or other activities and and experimentation? And of course, there's the spirit of the feedback. Is it positive, constructive, supportive, or is it negative and, and remedial? Is it direct, uh, written, or spoken? Is it implicit, like body language? Is it straightforward and clear or couched beyond parsability to preserve the appearance of politesse? So with so many variables to feedback, it's easy to see how quickly it becomes complicated and why some folks have actually pushed back on the idea of feedback ever being valuable. Yeah, in fact, uh, there was a a recent um, Harvard Business Review post on on the blog there, and we'll link to that in the show notes, called The Feedback Fallacy. And uh, the writers there wrote, and I'll quote them, feedback is about telling people what we think of their performance and how they should do it better, whether they're giving an effective presentation, leading a team, or creating a strategy. And on that, the research is clear. Telling people what we think of their performance doesn't help them thrive and excel, and telling people how we think they should improve actually hinders learning, end of quote. And and those authors go on to point out what they see as three fallacies uh, around feedback. First, that other people are more aware than you are of your own weaknesses and that the best way to help you is for them to point out uh, what you can't see for yourself. Second, that the process of learning is, you know, the the filling of an empty vessel. So you lack certain abilities um, that you need to acquire. And so you're going to get feedback that's going to teach them to you. And then third, that great performance, so kind of getting to that expert end of of the spectrum, is universal and analyzable and describable. And so once you have it um, defined, then it can be transferred from one person to another. So someone who's an expert can, can kind of pass that along to someone else who, and then that person can also become an expert. But of course, all of those points are are flawed. Others don't always see us more clearly or, or understand what we need to do. And by sharing what they see and what they think we need to do, we may actually move farther away from doing something well. And I'll note that this is probably truer for higher order learning and for learning that aims not just for competence, but mastery, or in the language of the the HBR authors, excellence. So, you know, for giving an injection properly to, to return to that example, others may well be able to help learners do that better. And we should note, too, that there is some you know, basic neuroscience behind what the, the authors of that HBR article uh, claim ar- around feedback. You know, so there are studies showing, for example, that in the brains of students that are uh, asked about what they need to correct in something that they're doing, uh, their, their sympathetic nervous system lights up. And basically, their, their fight-or-flight system comes online, um, and it tends to mute the other parts of the, the brain um, and, and makes them focus only on the information that's 
what's most necessary to survive. So basically, your your brain is uh, narrowing its activity is uh, is basically kind of a sensing a threat um, from the the criticism that's often perceived through feedback. Now, you know, on the flip side, um, if we're actually able to highlight for somebody what's what's working in what they're doing, um, what's working in their learning, um, that can actually stimulate the, the parasympathetic nervous system, um, which is much more productive. That's actually going to lead to to neurogenesis, to the, the, the growth of, of, uh, of brain cells. So, you know, the, the author's view is that um, learning really rests on our grasp of what we're doing well, not on what we're doing poorly, and definitely not on someone else's sense of what we're doing poorly. And then also that uh, we learn the most when someone else pays attention to what's working within us and asks us to cultivate that intelligently. That's that's the best kind of feedback. So for example, if you see somebody, you know, doing something that, that's that's really working, um, you know, to, to stop and, and highlight that and, and recognize that, um, you know, and, and, and point out what excellence looks like for that person. If you do that, you know, then you're offering her a chance to, to gain some insight. Um, you're highlighting a, a pattern that's already there within her so that she can recognize it and anchor it and recreate it and, and refine it. And uh, I'm basically kind of loosely quoting from, from things that are in this HBR article. And we definitely, again, en- encourage you to, to read that. We'll link to it. Um, there's, a, there's a good chart in the uh, article as well with some language substitutions and some examples. Uh, some example situations of how to give feedback, um, and not so much in, in you know in the context of learning events or experiences, or, or at least the, the formal type. This is in more informal context, but but much of what's in that chart can be generalized to feedback you might give in a formal learning context. So again, we'll, we'll link to that in the show notes. Uh, something uh, definitely useful to reference. Well, and I, you know, I think this dovetails very nicely with Carol Dweck and her work in her book Mindset because, you know, she spends a good bit of time talking about feedback and how feedback can foster or inhibit a growth mindset. So what you were talking about there, Jeff, with what's happening at the neurological level, um, it definitely is, is also supported by Dweck and her work. And so feedback that stresses um, and praises the learner's effort and process is much better in cultivating or encouraging that growth mindset versus um, feedback that judges learner's talent or intelligence. And, and praising effort and process, that puts people in a growth mindset. Um, but interestingly, or, or something that is very worthwhile keeping in mind is that Praising learners' intelligence, you know, and that's certainly positive feedback, right? You know, say, oh, wow, you're so smart, Jeff. But that can actually trigger the fixed mindset because that feedback is a label. I'm saying you're smart, Jeff, versus, you know, oh, that was a really smart way to think about approaching that problem. And so even a positive label um, equates that person with their achievement or performance. And so to prompt the growth mindset in your feedback, you're going to always want to focus on effort or the way of thinking. So um, again, that was a smart way to think about that problem. Very different than saying you're smart. Um, So we'll make sure to link in the show notes also back to that episode where we talked about mindset. Yeah, Dweck's work uh, definitely very, very relevant here and um, certainly encourage listeners to go back and listen to that episode. So as we're getting beginning to, to wrap up uh, this episode, uh, I'll note that as with so much we do as learning businesses, it's really important and meaningful uh, to not only talk the talk, but 
walk the walk, to be avatars for the kind of behavior we want and expect from our learners. And so while it's a different kind of feedback, asking for feedback from learners, asking them to complete post-course evaluations is a way of modeling the importance of feedback. And it shows we're open to feedback and, and hopefully that we're also open to making changes and improving based on that feedback. And of course, you might remember to ask for the specific types of feedback that are going to be most useful to you in those evaluations. Uh, I know that you're still going to get the stuff about the room being too cold, but uh, <laughs> nonetheless. So that's, that's it for our look at feedback. Now that you've listened or re-listened to this conversation about feedback, spend some time on your own and with your team reflecting on the questions we offered near the beginning. What feedback are you offering your learners? Is the feedback that you're offering consistent with what's known about how to promote learning? Would your learning business benefit from revisiting and perhaps codifying the types of feedback you offer? At leadinglearning.com slash episode 389, you'll find those questions. You'll also find options for subscribing to the podcast, and we'd be grateful if you would subscribe if you haven't yet, as subscriptions give us some feedback into the impact of the podcast. We'd also be grateful if you would rate us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen, especially if you find the Leading Learning Podcast valuable. Those ratings and reviews provide Salisa and me with some additional feedback, and they help us show up when people search for content on leading a learning business. Lastly, please help us grow the leading learning community. At leadinglearning.com slash episode 389, there are links to find us on X, LinkedIn, and Facebook. Thanks again, and see you next time on the Leading Learning Podcast. Mm-hmm.